Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study, and I'm so glad that you are here today. Praise God. Let's go back today to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. I want to talk today about grabbing the snake Woo! by the tail. Hey, is it just me? Or is there something about snakes that causes a reaction to get back a little bit? Praise God. Well, let's talk about this some today, how it relates to uh, walking close with God in the supernatural. Praise God. Let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we go into your word, that your Holy Spirit would bring understanding of your ways. Now, Father, we thank you for head knowledge, intellectual knowledge, data, information concerning you and your word. But we thank you more for working knowledge, having a living, uh, real relationship with you that goes beyond just uh, data. We thank you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I believe you'll catch some things today that'll help you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Wow, God was telling the truth, wasn't he, as he always does. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Mm. You know, the devil, is a, he's an incredible liar. <laughs> it was actually Hitler who said, uh, in order for a lie to be accepted, it has to be outrageous. And then it has to be pushed over and over and over again. But uh, I tell you, we live in a culture today where some of the lies just, uh, they're, they're so uh, obvious that they're a lie, but they're pushed with such boldness and they're pushed with such um, straight faces that uh, we've got some incredible liars in the earth today. <laughs> but we know who the father of all lies is, it's the dirty devil. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this thing of being like God uh, is a real uh, curiosity to so many people of, uh, and it really appeals to the area of what I would call pride, self-exaltation, uh, self Um you know, looking for ways to ascend, even if that's not the way God wants you to go. Because God's ways are often down, and when you go down, you actually end up going up because you're going on the right path. But these things can be interesting uh, to work out in our lives. Praise the Lord. You know, just a few days ago, I was in a minister's room, all ministers, all full-time ministers, and most of us have been in the ministry for quite a few years, and we're sitting there and we're waiting uh, for a great man of God to come and share a few things with us in a very small group type setting. Well, I got to talking to a, a, a gentleman next to me that's on television uh, on many uh, large networks, and uh, so we were talking, didn't really know each other, but we're getting to know each other, and you know, we're on television in a, in a lot of places too, and so he asked me about some of the networks I was familiar with, and I asked him about what he was on. And we're, you know, uh, kind of both familiar uh, with all of these various platforms that are out there. And, uh, but, you know, he mentioned, he mentioned like a couple of networks that he wants to get on, that he would really like to get on. I said, oh, I said, brother, you don't need to be concerned about those uh, two networks. He mentioned two. I said, um, I said, those networks don't want people like you and me. And I could tell that when I said that, it was like, it's like it just hit a brick wall because he wants to be on, uh, he'd love to be on those networks. And I just said, hey, you know, we're Pentecostal, speak in tongues, cast out devils. I said, those networks don't want anything to do with that. And I, I named them. I na named the, na uh, the networks, and uh, those were the ones that he really, really wanted to be on. But I was trying to tell him, 
my ministry, I want to be effective. I want to fish where the fish are biting at, and I want to go to where God assigns me at. I'm after souls, and uh, I'm, I'm not out here to play this fuddy-duddy religious game just to see how many networks I can get on. I, I was saying that in a very nice way, but I was saying you have to be strategic and only do what God wants you to do because all these networks will take your money but they may not even really have much of an interest in souls. And I know that the two networks he was interested in, high dollar, high dollar, I'm talking way over $10,000 for a half hour uh, spot, way over. And, um, but, uh, you know, those networks, you can't, you can't preach against sin. You can't, uh, you can't cast any demons out, capture that on video, and think you're going to air that on their networks. Absolutely, there's no way. Yet, yet they're supposed to be spirit-filled networks. And they were born uh, with the fires of Pentecost, but the flame, <laughs> the flame uh, moved away. Uh, you know, it's like the cloud, the cloud and the, flame and the fire by night. Uh, it, it kept moving, but somehow they camped. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the glory left a long time ago. Uh, but uh, they have a lot of good substitutes to pump up uh, in replacement of the glory. Nevertheless, I told this real nice preacher, real nice man, sharp man. I said, they're not going to ever accept you on their network, just like they don't want me on their network because I, I, I'm, I'm too Pentecostal for them. And uh, But he, oh, he didn't really want to hear that. Okay, so um, right when our conclusion of our little conversation finished. And remember, we're in a room full of ministers, but he and I were talking. We're right at the front, right when we kind of finished. The man of God came out to talk to us, men of God, and uh, the minister that came out was Dr. Rod Parsley. He stepped out, and he said, I've got about three hours of speaking on the inside of me. He said, I'm, I've been with God. I'm completely filled up. And he started to talk. He started to talk. And the first thing out of his mouth, because he's a prophet. Now, he's an apostle, but just because he's an apostle doesn't mean that he doesn't have the prophetic. He's got it uh, very, very strong. And Dr. Rod Parsley said, the first, I mean, the first thing out of his mouth, and he's not listening in on secret mics to see what people are talking about because there's everybody's chatting. You could, even if you dropped a mic down, you're just going to hear like a, a hundreds of conversations going on at the same time. Well, not hundreds, less than that because there were far less of us in the room than that. But anyhow, he walked out, and the first thing he said, he said, I'm filled up. I've got about three hours of, th of notes I could, and things I could share with you all today. He said, but you know what? He said, some of you just, you, you just wish you could be on, and he named those two networks. The same two that I was just talking with that minister about. He, he said, some of you wish, you, he said, you don't understand God's plan. And you're yearning after things for the stamp of man's approval. And some of you would love to be on, and he named those two networks. And he said, they're never going to let you on. He said, he said one of them booted me off. And that's, that's one of the net, that's the big network that the founder, the co-founder with tears in her eyes, told him, as long as his station is in existence, you'll always be on it. Well, as soon as she died... They said goodbye to him as far as, and this is one of the premier preachers in the world. I have another real good friend of mine on television all over the world. He dropped them too. He dropped the network also. He said, I got tired of paying their satellite bill. Let somebody else pay it. <laughs> and he was on there just about every single day. Uh, but things change. Sometimes these networks or these old organizations that once had the fire, the fire goes out. The next generation comes along, and the next thing before you know, it's just like entertainment. It has no bite, and they don't want it to have any bite. They want it soft. They want it like generalized for everybody. Kind of sounds to me like General Meals. You ever heard of the big uh, food company that produces all, you know, the majority of all the sugary cereals that people consume and eat? Recently, you had an executive from General Meals come out and say that a bowl of cereal, uh, excuse me, a bowl of Cheerios for breakfast is healthier than a grilled lean chi uh, chicken breast. And I thought, what an absolute, complete, total lie. But they, they have to lie. That's what they do. And if you look on the box of Cheerios, what's the second ingredient? Sugar. <laughs> on some of their products, the first ingredient is sugar.
And so they have to lie. They have to say that a grilled lean uh, uh, chicken breast, uh, oh, oh, no, our product is better. What an absolute lie. So um, the general stuff often that's pumped out, that feeds the masses, sometimes you need to step back and say, what's the nutrition level of this? Uh, but I thought that was wild when uh, Pastor Parsley did that and uh, didn't know that us up front had just talked about that. But he knows, because, and I, I know because I've encountered it, I've, I've experienced it. I ain't got time to play no silly religious games with networks that are not in the soul winning, that just, uh, you know, really just try their, they're trying to copy HBO or they're trying to copy... Um, other news organizations or secular talk shows that were popular, and then they've got to turn around and replicate that to a T. I thought as believers, we're supposed to be the, the leaders. We're supposed to be the trendsetters. You know, when Amy Simply McPherson had her church in L.A., of course, the church is still there. She's gone on to heaven. But uh, she constantly had producers and uh, other people that would come out to see what she was going to do. They couldn't keep up with her. <laughs> Watch out for these things because um, the enemy wants to present uh, the tree that you can eat from. And uh, you can eat from that tree and gain this knowledge of the world and just be as dry and dead and empty on the inside. Praise the Lord. So the ways of God are actually the ways that will elevate you and take you up. But in the eyes of, of men, uh, those ways can be very, very unattractive. And so what men often want to do is have something that's more uh, secure or, or more like in a realm where they feel like they can handle it. Uh, but these can actually go against the ways of God. God has a higher purpose. He wants to work with you where you are in a, uh, if you're a guy, where you're in a son relationship with God. If you're a woman, where you're like in a daughter relationship with God, and God's not going to treat you like some kind of hireling. He's not going to treat you like some kind of a robot or like a pawn on a chessboard. God wants real relationship with you. So he deals differently with you than he does with even others that are in the body of Christ who just want to go to heaven. After all, who doesn't, right? <laughs> but you want to go to heaven and you want to please God. You want, you're into this for more than just having your sins forgiven, although that's essential and necessary, but you want to be conformed into the image of Jesus and you're serious about that, and you're trying to sift through all the sugary cereals that they pump on you to eat. I'm talking spiritual here, okay? While there's healthy stuff that you can eat. Ever had one of these garbage breakfasts where you eat this breakfast, maybe a bowl of cereal, and I'm talking like an hour and a half later, you feel like you're starving? <laughs> Why is that? Because you ate something that hardly had any nutritional value. But if you eat real food, I'm not talking about something that's processed and full of sugar, but if you eat real food, you could, I mean, it would, might be good to have lunch, but you don't even really need it. You could, you could just work all day off of that dense calorie, dense nutrition that you took in, and you might want a dinner or something like that. But something happens to you when spiritually you're walking with God, and you begin to move away from a lot of what I would call the huff and puff or the hooping and the whooping. And I don't mind good hooping preaching. I like that. But um, I hope there's some substance in it. You know, I had a, a young man that really likes my ministry and uh, kind of wanted me to mentor him. And so, like, he's really studying my notes or really listening to my messages and uh, I said, well, get ready. You know, God will open the doors for you to preach. So he had a door open for him to preach and he somewhere and he went and preached and he uh, got the video of it and sent it to me. He was real proud of it. And there's a video of him uh, hooping and preaching, hooping and preaching. And I just, I thought, brother, what are you trying to do hooping it when you can't even hoop it good? I mean, there's some preachers out there. If you, if you want to throw down with the hooping, uh, you're not going to be able to compete with that. And you, you've listened to me teach and 
you go out there and you hoop it and you don't even lay hands on anybody. You don't even minister to anybody. You don't give the Holy Spirit any room or any opportunity to move. You just go out. So sometimes we have to break, help people break out of these like cycles that they get like, uh, or these patterns they get molded into. And sometimes the mold just needs to be broke completely. <laughs> Thank God for people like Kenneth Hagin who realize I'm not a hooping preacher. You know, Kenneth Hagin could stand up and talk real calm, not even raise his voice or shout or anything like that. No, he did have a preach in him at times when that anointing was there, but he was mainly people knew him because of his teaching. And people would line up two hours early before the service, even before the doors even opened, just to like try to compete to get a good seat. And maybe by, you know, that's back in the days when they had cassette tapes and buy audio products and things like that. And he'd just stand there and teach real calm, real relaxed. And teach, but the teaching would turn your world uh, from upside down to right side up. Hallelujah. Help you get victory in your life. So um, we have to dig. We have to dig. What you'll notice uh, in the world, also perhaps you can see it in the church if you look carefully, is that in the world, let's take for example like a man like Warren Buffett, who started investing when he was a young man. And uh, of course, when you're young, and you're not of a certain age, you have to have your parents open a joint uh, shareholder account with you, but his parents were, uh, did that for him. And, uh, but so he's, he's learning investing at an early age. And if you, if you work certain principles, uh, and these, these principles being biblical, even if you don't believe in the Bible, even if you're an atheist, but you're working biblical principles, it will start to work for you. And in the world system, if you really apply yourself and push and work and you have a real heart to make it work, uh, it'll kick in and uh, it'll start to take off and it'll start to work. And, you know, you could end up being ultra wealthy like him or something along that line. But with the Lord, these ways can be different because why? Because you could make your application and you need to. And you might be thinking, Lord, I'm putting a lot in, but I'm not quite seeing the lift perhaps yet that I'm desiring. Well, God's very patient with sons and daughters. With others, let them run the course. God already sees their end. And the worst end possible would be an end without Jesus. But even still, with Jesus as your end, with Jesus as your Savior and your all in all, you still really want to know Him. So when you're into this and you're like, God, I really want to know you as a son. I really want to walk with you like Enoch did. Then things start going a little bit different that don't make always sense to the natural mind because God's working with you to bring you to a higher plane, a higher level, a spiritual walk. And it could look, it could look contrary in some ways to the world's ways, which wants proven results uh, wants deadlines met and things like that. And where you're guaranteed a paycheck at this point or whatever the case might be, but with the Lord, he works different. Now he'll take you up, but he's, he's more important about you coming into a place of communion and with him and knowing him and walking with him in a way where you get on a friendship level with God. Praise God. So I want to talk about some of these things today. Even in the church, um, you can apply certain principles that will that will begin to produce church growth. I mean, today, if you want to build a uh, like a big church, there's there's a couple things in America that you have to do in the Western world. You have to do one: the church has got to be ultra comfy. The chairs have got to be comfortable. The lights, the lighting has got to be good. You've got to have a latte bar out in the foyer. If you don't have that, I don't know if you can get anybody to come to church without that. You have to put a huge emphasis on the children's church, and we should take care of good care of the children. But if you don't have all those bells and whistles and somebody else does, they're going to go to the other place, even if the teaching has no anointing, even if there's no, no presence of God, even if the church is dead as a doorknob, that's where the people are going to go. So you can work certain natural material-related things and end up with the people that are just as empty as the pastor is. But they have figured out these formulas. They have figured out what brings people in. And it's, it's not, uh, in some ways, they're, they're formulas that would work in a corporate world. They would work in a, uh, a theater-type setting where you're building a movie or whatever it might be. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's God's way. 
And that's what we want to go further on today. Because God wants you to get over into this walk of the spiritual dimension. It requires trust when you can't see the way forward. It requires leaning on God when perhaps intellectually, and you could be a very brilliant person, but yet it doesn't seem to make sense. Those are very, very fun times with the Lord. Um, like, what do you mean by that, Pastor Stephen? Well, let me say this from a preacher's perspective. It's, it can get very easy for a full-time minister to preach, teach sermons. And you could uh, do your homiletics and hermeneutics and all of that, and you could present the gospel, and you could do it in a topical way, or you could do it you know, verse by verse or however you want to do it. And ministers, when you do that for a while, you can get pretty comfortable with that. Uh, but let me, let me tell you where the shift is at. While we should have excellence in the pulpit where we, we come in studied and we, we've, you know, we're not just flying on the, on the seat of our pants, so to speak, but we have studied and we're going to present God's word. But you know what? To give the Spirit of God opportunity to move, to, to say, okay, well, I've preached for 45 minutes, and uh, we've got about 100 or 1,000 or people here, or how many pe people we have. Let's, uh, let's let the Holy Spirit move now. I'm going to step out here and begin to minister to some people. Let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Okay, so you could have a PhD, uh, even in Greek or in Hebrew, or theology, but try stepping out in the Spirit to minister to people and see how far that PhD gets you in that area. At that point, it's totally worthless. It won't do anything. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is that while there is a place for education, and there is a place for learning, I'm saying there's a higher place, though, for the Spirit. Woo! Praise God. I think Paul understood this because even today with uh, and throughout church history, we've had some brains. I mean, we've had some brilliant people, uh, regardless of your stream within the Christian faith, whether you're an evangelical, uh, Roman Catholic, um, Eastern Orthodox, or whatever you might be as a believer in Christ Jesus, we've all had uh, different streams of uh, brilliant men and brilliant women that have uh, you know, come forth at different times uh, throughout the centuries. But hey, nobody, nobody in the New Testament church, though, was going to be able to hang on the level of Paul. I mean, Paul, he was a genius. It, it didn't matter what realm of learning and education he was going to go into. Now, he went, he, of course, he was a Jew, so he's into Judaism. So he's going to go to the very top of that. But you could have taken Paul uh, and you could have put him in a different uh, career field, such as mechanical engineering or uh, astrophysics or whatever. He would have succeeded wherever you put him. Why? He was a genius. He was very smart. We see a little bit of this revealed in uh, the book of uh, Philemon, excuse me, not Philemon, uh, Philemon but Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul said, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. So first of all, he's already, if you're going to put it by pedigree or certain criteria, a criteria that man would evaluate to validate you, he's already hit in a sense because he's, he's a Jew. <laughs> Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he even tells you what tribe he belongs to. A Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he was taught by Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was considered the, uh, not only uh, the leading teacher in the entire nation during Paul's time, but he was considered one of the great teachers throughout uh, the century uh, of the uh, history of the Jewish people. So Paul uh, he had all of this, and he had uh, tremendous knowledge of these things. But Paul goes on to say, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Let's jump over now. We're very close to it, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I believe you're going to catch some things that will help you, first of all, understand perhaps the walk that you are on. 
and why what may be very important to you to other Christians may have no value or interest to them. And that's okay because you're working on your walk with God. If others don't want to, um, how can I say, keep ascending up Zion, that's okay. If they want to camp at the bottom of the mountain, they want to have a base camp way down there, that's okay. But in humility and grace, you can have more God, but just keep climbing in Him because there's a lot more uh, good things to receive, experience, and enjoy. 1 Corinthians 2 Verse 4, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. They were not, but that's actually, that's actually what certain networks, uh, a lot of mega churches in the Western world, that's what they want today. They don't want, for, uh, for example, what you, what you would see in West Africa, where it's pure Pentecostal power preach, casting out demons, miracles, signs, wonders, and all of that. that. They don't want that right now in America. Now, I believe some things are going to change. I believe there are ripplings and undercurrents and movings of the Spirit, and we could see God begin to move in a special way. And I believe that God is not even done yet with America, but America's destiny will be fulfilled. But right now, America as a nation is a moral and spiritually bankrupt nation. Okay? So uh, what Paul said that he was not leaning on and not putting emphasis on, which were persuasive words and human wisdom on display, that's actually what is celebrated in the church today. Mm -mm. Okay? But he said, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Praise God. So demonstration proofs that what you preach and that what you proclaim is actually true. We would like to see some proofs. <laughs> so we're not going to put God on the spot in the sense, now God do this, but there should be along the line of preaching this message. Yeah, there should be some times when the spirit is moving and God is doing some things and then, and that, and then people can judge for themselves. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, um, uh, I'm thinking about a, a wonderful minister. His name was John Wright Follett, W-R-I-G-H-T, Follett. And um, uh, years back, Dr. Wade Taylor, before he went to heaven, he laid his hands on me. My wife was a witness to this. And he said, Stephen, he said, I pass my mantle to you. And he said, I pass the mantle of Walter Butler to you. And I pass the mantle of John Follett to you. So these were men that uh, Dr. Wade Taylor knew personally. And John Follett, I believe he passed away in 1966. But he was a man that uh, we would know, we would kind of like describe uh, John Flett as a modern day mystic. Wade told me the guy could not even use a screwdriver. He didn't know how to use a screwdriver. He, I mean, he lived a, a long life, but he was single. He never married. And all he did was pray and walk real close to God. You could call him like a, like a Pentecostal monk. <laughs> That's really what he was like. Amen. So he put all of his leaning towards that direction. But he had a really amazing walk with the Lord. But John Wright Follett had an experience one time, I believe it was like in the 1950s, where uh, he was uh, out in the area of Southern California. I think he was in Los Angeles. And uh, he ended up having a conversation with an Episcopal businessman. And they were talking, and the, the Episcopal businessman said to John Follett, he said, look, I know that you're a Pentecostal, and I know that you can probably understand what I'm going to say. But he said, we Episcopalians, we have the most beautiful church buildings, and they pretty much, much do. It's either the Episcopalians or the Presbyterians. They, they outdo even the Catholic buildings, unless you go to Europe, okay? <laughs> but here in America, it's usually the Episcopalians or the Presbyterians have the prettiest buildings. So this Episcopalian businessman said to John Follett, he said, we Episcopalians have the most beautiful buildings. We said, we have the highest level educated clergy. In other words, all the clergy have PhDs and uh, THDs and things like that. And he, he said, we have all of the trappings of success. 
He said, yet we all know we're completely hollow on the inside. We all know there's something tremendous that we are all missing in our walk with God. And he said, you Pentecostals are the ones who have it. You're the ones that actually we look at privately without saying it, but we know that you've got the real thing. He said, so we're shocked. We're shocked that you Pentecostals actually want what we have because <laughs> we have it all. Then we realize how empty it actually it all is. <laughs> John Follett wept when that man told him that. He wept because he knew it was true. I'm not saying as a Pentecostal, you shouldn't have anything. Shouldn't have a nice car, shouldn't have a nice house. All I'm saying is that's distant secondary. You should put your emphasis on your nearness to God, your walk with God. Then you become a living witness uh, and the life of God begins to flow through you. And then instead of reclaiming victory, you actually have the victory and it just exudes out of you. People can see it. <laughs> Woo. Wow. I got, I had kind of almost like an identical conversation with a, um, Presbyterian elder, multimillionaire. Um, matter of fact, while he and I were having this conversation parked right outside was a Ford GT. I can't remember what it was called, but it's, it's the half million dollar car. It's $500,000 car. And, uh, that was parked right there. I mean, you, you're talking a uh, high level of money, not, not only to have the car, but you can't get that car unless you qualify. You have to have certain, uh, uh, things, criteria that uh, please the, uh, the uh, you know, the uppity ups at four that will allow you to even have a slot to buy it. So he and I were talking and he has a very large business, a lot of employees. And so he and I, were, we, we kind of had this conversation that started up. And so I'm Pentecostal, he's Presbyterian, and he has every trapping of worldly success you could ever ever imagine. He's outdone even the, he's the American dream of a home and two cars and a garage. Oh, he's blown that out of the water. He's way beyond that. He's multimillionaire many times over. And he basically said, um, you know, uh, Stephen, my wife's at home sick. She'll never be healed. She has an incurable, uh, condition. He told me what it was. Uh, he said, well, I've got these, these things. And he's just, he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. And I'm, I'm not saying that if you don't have God real close, you, you might not have some happiness. But I'm saying that deep thing on the inside of you, that's what I'm trying to get to. That's what God's trying to get to you. And that's why you can find that your journey in life will begin to get different. It begins to veer in a different direction because why? God's treating you like a son. He's actually working on you to bring you into a walk that he wants to see established between you and him. He's dealing with you as a daughter, his very own daughter. Because why? Because he cares. He really does love you. And he knows that that has caught your heart and you're willing to work with him on it. Others aren't. <laughs> the guy, the nice man at the car dealership, no, he, he wouldn't touch this with a um, hundred foot pole. Great guy. Loves Jesus. I know I'll see him in heaven. But this, the, the Pentecostals, oh no, oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't be seen with anybody that even speaks in tongues. <laughs> Yet, sometimes people like that, when they're desperate, let's say a Methodist or uh, maybe a Baptist or something like that, when they're desperate, um, they're not going to join up with the Pentecostals. But you know what they do? You know it's the truth. You know it's the truth. You know what they do? They sneak over here with their sick family member who they know the only way they can get healed is a miracle. So what do they do? They bring them to the Pentecostal church. They bring them to me. Oh, Pastor, I've had, I've had them tell me this. Pastor Stephen, please don't put me on camera. All my Baptist friends wouldn't understand. I, I'm like, hey, I can't control that. And I'm not signing any kind of waiver. If you get on the camera, I'm not apologizing for anything God's doing. <laughs> don't, don't come then. <laughs> well, do it in the back so nobody sees. Because we, they, they know if, they, they, now they don't want it. But they know if they're desperate and they ever need it, they know where to go. But they, and then oftentimes they want to do it low profile. I believe that'll shift. I believe the glory is shifting. And, and again, remember, a lot of that also is a Western church mentality. It's, a, it's an American type of Christianity that is it's warped. It's warped. And while you do see the beauty of the Lord in his body, uh, it's not the fullness of what God wants to express in the global body of believers upon the earth. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 106. Isn't this an interesting 
statement. I've often thought about this. Let's take a look at it. Psalm 106, verse 13. Now, this is what some Christians choose, and it's their choice, but this is what some choose. But remember, if they take that choice, um, here are the results. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Every major denomination that has been formed over you know, the last uh, several hundred years, let's even go back to Martin Luther, uh, talking about the Lutherans. All of, these, all of these movements, all of these now denominations, they were all born out of genuine fire of God, a genuine outpouring of the Spirit. Even if you go back and study early Methodist history with John Wesley, there were miracles and signs and wonders. Now today, the Methodist church has as their logo, the flame. <laughs> they don't even realize, most of them, probably 99% don't realize that the flame representative of the Holy Spirit was a big part of early day Methodism. Matter of fact, before John Wesley would minister, which was often outdoors, people, they would come by the thousands. Oftentimes they couldn't see. People would climb up in trees. He would tell them, come down out of the trees because when the power of God comes, if you're up in the tree, you're going to fall out of the tree when the power comes. Come down out of the tree. And you've always got a few who won't obey, and sure enough, they'd fall out of the tree. Uh, and, you know, if it's in the, of the Spirit, there's still protection. But um, John Wesley was really good on trying to dial down emotionalism. He would let God move, but he would not do anything to hype it. He would just let the Holy Spirit do, do his thing. Uh, and he was very good at that. But yes, every major denomination was born out of a move of the Spirit, but see, what happens is that once, uh, what was once glory and what was once fire and power, over time, as that lead generation passes away, then another generation often gets weaker and weaker until, until it could end up being something you don't even recognize. What about the Ivy League schools? What about Yale? Yale was a theological seminary founded to build up and raise up preachers. What about Harvard? Very similar calling. But what do we have today? We have bastions of, um, of insanity in some reasons. Oh, you can get an education, and they'll certainly educate you all right. They'll help you go to a higher level of understanding perhaps science or, uh, or medicine or whatever it might be, and they'll pump in all kinds of other stuff along with it. Woo! Woo! They'll come out sometimes hating God, come out blaspheming God's name. Give, give those professors four years. They'll, um, they'll go to work, and uh, they'll, try to, they'll try to turn the students into the same ideologies that they carry, which is, of course, an antichrist way of thinking and operating. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul, gave them their request, but sends leanness, leanness. I know people that were called by God to be on the mission field. You understand the missionary is just like a modern day term for the word apostle. When Jesus gave the five ministry offices to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, there's not a sixth one called a minute called the missionary. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Oftentimes the missionary is stepping into and operating in the role of an apostle. But there have been those that have been called to go to give up everything to go overseas and learn a new language and to um, preach the gospel in a foreign place. And some have said, no, I don't want to do that. It's too big a price to pay. And sometimes God says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a second best. What do you want to do? Well, I, I'll stay, I'd, I'd rather stay here and I'll be comfortable here and do this or whatever. God says, okay, I'll, I'll bless you over here with this little thing you want to do over here. You could have shook the nation over there. So they stay here with that little thing and they... They're happy, but they have leanness of soul. What does that mean? No depth. No depth. And they know it. They know it too. They know it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, these are realities. These are spiritual realities. This is what you begin to 
run into. It's kind of like going to D.C. and wanting to be a politician, and you go there with the heart to actually represent your people and to bring good change, and you go up there and you see, oh, this is all... um, this is kind of like a this is like a system of uh, politics where you give false promises and then you you'll say whatever you need to do to get reelected again. Now, not everybody's like that. There are those that haven't been uh, uh, bought and paid for. There there are those that are rock solid that are committed, have a heart for God, and are good people. But you've got others. They'd sell their own mother. They'd sell their own mother for political fame and for power or for whatever it might be a position. Praise the Lord. But we're going to keep on moving with the Lord. But see, you could sell out too in your walk with the Lord, and you could settle with what you want instead of pushing to go on into the supernatural that God has for you and receive the what I would say the fullness of your inheritance. But if you settle, you can still go to heaven, but you'll have leanness in your soul. You'll have a, you'll have a lean soul. Wow. Wow, and I don't want that, and I know that you don't either. So let's continue to go after the Lord. Acts chapter 7, look at this. Let's talk about what we can do to, um, to keep walking with the Lord in a way where we are pursuing Him and enjoying His, His fellowship. We're having communion with Him and getting to know God beyond mediocrity, getting to know God beyond a bowl of sugary stuff that, we, that it, we're told is good for us, but it has, has no value. No, we want spiritual food. We want a real relationship with God where we're strong. We're strong, and we're not living on this stuff that we're being sold as, as being good, when it's not. <laughs> Acts chapter 7. Look, you can't take me and put me back in the third grade and expect I'm going to be happy. I can't go sit somewhere where uh, somebody's dispensing so-called truth, and I'm like, wow, I, I, I know that we need to preach messages that even young believers can be built up on, but I, I, I can't go for this. I, I learned this back when I was in kindergarten, okay? <laughs> I don't need this. Let me lay my head down to sleep and have a little prayer before I go. No, no I need some stuff that will uh, give me victory over the devil, that will give me victory over the things that would be faced in life. Praise God. So you need to get geared up. Hallelujah. Let me grab a drink of tea today. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Wow. And was mighty in words and deeds. He could really talk. He was very eloquent. I'm sure they had... uh, uh, vocal training, uh, public speaking classes. They've got them today. And, uh, you know, they had him back then. And he was well-trained. You could say he actually had a Ph.D. He was well-learned in all of these things, being raised up to understand business, to understand the economics. And this is, this is also prepping, prepping to be a national leader. So Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He would have had the best education. He would have had the best teachers. And so they they put all of that into him, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Verse 28, uh, do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Oh, wow. So now uh, the Israelis uh, who are slaves that Moses uh, wants to deliver, uh, they know that he has just killed the guy the day before. Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. My friends, there are some things of God that require higher levels of empowerment and divine input over the mental capacity, even if you have a brilliant mind. Because we see Moses with all of the education, the best that Egypt had to offer, how far did that get him when he had to try to accomplish something that was supernatural? Now, he tried it before the time was right and failed miserably and murdered a person in the process and ends up running away. What took place? He just didn't have it. Even with all of that brilliance, he he needed something more. So while we celebrate um, 
the minds that God has given us. We also must press further because there will be some things in the ways of God. If you don't learn that flow, it'll, it'll actually insult your intellect. Now, remember, Paul said, when I came, I did not come with persuasive words or trying to show you how many degrees I have, because if you need that, I can lay it out for you. He said, but that's not what I'm coming with. I'm bringing something else to bring validity to the gospel. And that's power. That's the ability to demonstrate God's power. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So God, he had to drain all of that out of Moses. Uh, Not the knowledge of it, but the reliance upon that, that that's somehow going to get the job done. No, Moses, God's going to have to, um, he's going to have to work with you on this. And just like he does with us sometimes, like an onion, some layers uh, need to come off. Let's go to the book of Exodus just for a moment. Exodus chapter 4. Praise God. Exodus 4 verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Now watch very closely. What is that in your hand? He said, a rod. Well, we know that he has a rod because here in chapter three, just previous to that, we see that in verse one, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So Moses on the backside of the desert is taking care of all of these sheep. So he's got the shepherd's rod. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. Verse 3, and he said, God says to him, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Okay, and what, what did Moses do? And Moses fled from it. Okay, so he takes this big shepherd's rod, throws it on the ground. God turns the rod into a snake. And why does Moses run away? Now, remember, he, he's been a shepherd. He's been out here for 40 years getting stripped. Okay, you could say, uh, working with sheep, <laughs> and he's going to be working with a whole bunch of sheep, about three million of them, very, very soon. So this is the real preparation of the school of the Spirit, very different from the education that Egypt gives you. But even with all of that time in the wilderness, I'm sure he saw poisonous snakes, but when he sees this one, it says he fled. Why? You know that was one big snake, and you know something else. For him, for him to flee, you know it must have been poisonous. So it's venomous. And he's like, I mean, he backs off. This, this is an initial, as we would say, knee-jerk reaction. I mean, you just jump, <laughs> and he ran. <laughs> Woo! He fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, now watch, watch carefully. Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Woo! Everything Egypt would tell you not to do. Oh, yes, Pastor Stephen, I've watched Animal Planet. Pastor Stephen, I've watched all of these TV uh, network programs dealing with animals. And the snake, you have to grab him right behind the head so he can't bite you. And you have to be real careful. Some snakes, uh, they, they can turn almost completely around even if you grab their base of their head. So you, there's a special way you have to grab right by their head, but you would never grab the snake by the tail. Why? The, the, the snake's going to bite you. Think about it. Just to reach your hand down there, I mean, he could bite you. But the grabbing by the tail, uh, this is crazy. This is crazy. I'll tell you one thing, Lord. I've got a Ph.D. in animal science. Yeah, that all has to bow at the feet of the God who knows all of that already. He already knows that. Who do you think made the snake? <laughs> Woo! Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Wow. What happens when you go the way of the Spirit, which sometimes insults you? It'll insult your intellect. And you'll actually maybe think you're going backwards. And you'll see the results that those in Egypt are having, uh, like clockwork that's working for them. And you're thinking, okay, 
Well, uh, oh, well, well, I, I have committed. So, see, you committed to be a son or daughter. Okay, so he's now teaching you his way. <laughs> and, uh, but you did it. And now the snake has turned back into the rod. What's happened? When you work with God and you actually obey him and you walk this walk, you say, well, take faith. It'll, it'll test you. Now, let me say this. God will always come through for you. But I'll tell you, sometimes the enemy can throw up circumstances that'll make you think, is God even real? <laughs> you know he is. He's alive within your heart. But it could seem so dead, so dry, like nothing's going on, like Moses, like on the backside of a desert, like nothing's happening. But yet the whole time he knows God had given him a mandate, but 40 years had gone by. And in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of academia, who accreditates people, in the, in the eyes of the religious governing body that will, will issue you a credential if you meet all of our requirements. Do you speak Greek? No. Get out of here. <laughs> but God's way is so different. The school of the Holy Spirit is so different. So if you go through it, which takes some raw faith in God's word, raw faith in your ability to follow that leading of the Holy Spirit, which means you've got to really stay close to him. What will happen? You can grab the snake by the tail. He won't bite you. It did work. God did come through for you. And the snake turns now back into a rod. What's that? New authority that you've never had before. And with that new authority, that's, that's proven. And you can't get this in a classroom. Even if I'm teaching it to you, you can't get it in a classroom until you actually walk it out. But what happens is it turns into true authority. And now, now Moses is ready to go stand before Pharaoh. He's got something he didn't have before. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. A new dimension of the supernatural. A real experience of hearing from God. Yes, being led by the inward witness but also the ability to understand a divine mandate and follow it and not deviate from it just because maybe we want to do something because it looks good. Hmm. Or it seems to be accredited by those that are in charge. God may look at it and say, the whole thing's a joke. Why are you trying to get into that when I'm not in it? But Lord, everybody thinks it's so. And you know, if it's something that God's got others in and it's good, it's their thing, good. But if it's not for you, you've got to stay focused with your calling because it's very, very important. And, but you can't fulfill that calling without you being molded into the person that God wants you to be where you trust him. You trust him. And it takes the walk of the spirit. Praise God. It does take at times grabbing the snake by the tail. Is it scary? Um, you're in faith, but it does make life quite exhilarating. I would say it like that. <laughs> you're you're uh, not afraid, but you are like, uh, Lord, this is uh, maybe a little bit more than I bargained for, but I'm, I'm, I'm too far in now and I'm not pulling out. <laughs> I'm trying to help some of you understand what you're going through right now. And you committed. You, you knew that you, do you dove in and you said, Lord, I'm all in. So this is what's cooking. Amen. Amen. But he's investing true authority in to you. Praise God. I have more I could share. I have more notes, but I feel led to stop here. Let you meditate on these things. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your people. Bless them. Fill them afresh with your spirit. Let them know that walk um, that sometimes is out, maybe even like far out of the spotlight like John the Baptist was before it all clicked out in the desert, like Moses was before it all clicked out of the desert. I thank you, Father God. But you're there with them. That's all that matters. Nothing else even does matter except just walking with you. And even when the limelight's on, nothing changes. <laughs> and we won't let it change us. <laughs> Father, bless your people, in Jesus' name, with understanding of your ways, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Don't go away. Let's take communion in just a moment. But if you're watching and you don't 
know the only true and living God, why don't you make your peace with God right now? I want to lead you in prayer so that you can come to know God and get your life right with God. And if you're watching me and you used to be a Christian, but you listened to the lie of the devil and you went over there and you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you got a big bite and you're not, but, but you realized, wow, yeah, it took me some things that were new, but wow, it wiped me out. Sin has a payday. It always does. The wages of sin, it's death. Physical death, yes, eventually. That's what caused all of humanity to have to die. That's why we have cemeteries and graveyards. That was never God's original plan. There's redemption, though, today. Even though, but even though if you die today, but you know, Jesus just passed through like a veil, and you go right on into heaven with the Lord. But my friends, uh, if you're watching, you used to know Jesus, but you don't. You walked away from him. Come back right now, and he, he will restore you rededicate your life to God and he'll restore you back. And the original mandate is still there for you to pick up and carry on with. Okay. So let's pray. If you don't know the Lord or if you're out and away from God, come back, pray this now. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Please forgive me. Jesus, wash me with your precious blood. Come into my heart. I give my life completely to you. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus. Step into my life right now and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the family of God. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. Let's take Holy Communion together like for you to grab some unleavened bread, these little crackers, okay? If you don't have one of these, just get a little cracker, grab some grape juice, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless the bread and the juice. We set it apart as being holy. We thank you that this is the body and the blood of Jesus. And Father, as we receive the Lord's body, we thank you for miracles, signs, and wonders. We thank you, Father God, for the baptism in your Holy Spirit. Father, so many things that the world is ashamed of, we embrace. So many things that even your own people who don't have knowledge of would be ashamed of, such as tongues. We celebrate Jesus in every aspect of truth in your word. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the Lord's body. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, its mighty cleansing power. As we receive his blood, we forgive anybody, anyone who has sinned against us. We forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I remember when I got filled with the Holy Spirit because it was presented to me through scriptural, biblical truth. I saw it. I got filled with the Holy Spirit then I realized miracles, signs, and wonders, and all of these things were true. I have to admit, I got angry at the, at the former denomination that I'd, gotten, I'd, I'd come to know Jesus. I'd gotten saved. But they told me that all of this stuff was a lie. They told me that tongues was of the devil. They told me that there's no more miracles inside. They, just, they had thrown everything out except for salvation. And when I found out the truth, I got mad. But the Lord said, you have to forgive them. They, they didn't know. They didn't have the light. And I realized that. Many of them were struggling and searching in their own hearts for more. They, they just they couldn't find the doors that would open. But God, by His grace, made a way for me to keep going further. But you must seek after the Lord. Praise God. So we forgive anybody, anyone that, who has sinned against us. We forgive them and bless them. And we move on happy in the Lord. So right now, I'm actually in Jerusalem. And uh, if you would like to connect with Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good now, and healing. So we know that Jesus had a healing ministry, but Jesus also went about doing good.
So my, while my wife and I are in Israel with a, with a group of believers who have come, spiritual pilgrims who, have, who are with us in the Holy Land, and we're leading this tour, um, there's free time that my wife and I have. And sometimes we just like to walk around and be like Jesus and do good. And if you would like to touch the life of a Jewish person, an Israeli, who maybe is having a tough time, who is maybe wearing a pair of wore-out shoes, who maybe um, is struggling and maybe could use a little blessing. My wife and I like to go out as we walk around and just uh, maybe take somebody to the mall and buy them and their kids and the wife a pair of shoes or a pair of pants or get them some school supplies. Maybe you want to go with me. You, you can't go there physically, but you could flow through me. You could send a blessing. And while I'm actually in Israel right now, my wife and I will take it and we'll just be like Jesus. We'll go about doing good and do those little good little things that just make people think about God and make people think about their life and eternity and want to get right with God. Praise God. And you can, you can do it through us. Praise God. And we'll take those blessings and distribute them as the Spirit is moving. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> and this is for those. I don't need anything. I've got shirts, shoes, and stuff like that. But we just like to bless people. Maybe take a family that's struggling. Take them to the mall. Let the kids get some new shoes and things like that. Praise God. I'll try to take some photos too, long as it wouldn't embarrass them or long as they wouldn't mind. I'll try to maybe take some photos, okay, when that's possible. All right, and I'll share them with you. Praise the Lord. If you'd like to do that, visit my website, stephenbrooks.org. At the top, there's a header that says online giving, and you can click on that, and you'll see a little tab that says fund, F-U-N-D. Click that. It's a drop-down menu. Just click offering, and just type in Israel blessing. Send whatever you like to do. Amen. $25. Praise the Lord. Amen. And we'll find some of those in need, and we'll be a blessing. Amen. Trust me, there are people in need. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you for that. It's done in the name of Jesus, and it's done through the love and uh, grace of you. Amen. And God sees it, and He will bless you. Amen. Thank you for watching today. I know you're moving with the Spirit. I look forward to seeing you back next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.